Good afternoon, boxing fans around the world. Back again on Combat Talk Radio, found at combattalkradio.net with a our weekend of boxing updates here. Feel free to check us out. Once again, the site is combattalkradio.net. Leave us some comments, questions, suggestions, feedback on how we're doing, and we will get right into our weekend of boxing. All right, five fans, let's go ahead and cover our weekend of boxing. It's stacked. It's stacked. It's huge. There's a lot going on. A uh, couple already happened, wrapped up yesterday. I'll try to see if I can summarize those at the tail end of this one, but let's go up to what's happening here today. The big one, the top one, uh, most exciting fight we've had so far. Kata Plant uh, fighting David Benavides. This is an eliminator, title eliminator. I think it's a huge fight, middleweight action, 12 rounds, or super middleweight, rather, 12 rounds. This is huge. This is huge. And... There's a lot of people out there that are just really big Benavides fans, and I understand that. And there's a lot of people who don't think very much of Caleb Plant, and I understand that. I'm going to just tell you this right now. This is my opinion. I believe, I firmly believe that Caleb Plant has the advantage here. I know a lot of people disagree, and it's because of the eye test. David Benavides has been benefited from the eye test. He is a he has an eye test type fighter, and I think if you look at like the most recent amazing looking fights that they had. Of course, Caleb Plant was Durrell, sparked him out in stunning fashion. And then with Benavides, it was Lemieux. But we have to look at the quality of that opposition. Lemieux was arguably, arguably already on the way out, long away. And Durrell, although older, I don't think was anywhere near as on that way out. Like Lemieux had been in the game a long time. And so I'm not dismissing the win. And I'm not dismissing David Benavides as a fighter. I'm saying you got to kind of look at it in perspective. I don't believe, I, I, I rate the win over Darrell much higher than I rate the win over Lemieux simply because Lemieux was way older, way past. So and if I then look at everybody else that Benavides fought, Benavides did stop Darrell way back, I was 2019, to win the WBC title. So it's not, again, dismissing the guy. He is solid. I'm saying that ultimately in most recent wins is what we measure. I saw plants against Durrell to be way more of a win, way better of a win in my opinion than Benavides taking out Lemieux from my eyes. Then if I go back and look overall, so let's say Caleb Plant when he fought Canelo. Now, Caleb Plant fought Canelo a very strange style. He fought him heavily defensive and it seemed like he was just trying to last the distance and he did get some shots off, but I didn't think he was going to be able to beat Canelo simply because I felt Canelo was just going to be too much for him. But he did have a decent showing of himself, at least, but it wasn't it wasn't going to be enough, uh, and he would succumb to a TKO loss. Everybody else that he's fought, like, say, Uskatagi, for example, uh, Mike Lee, I think he's looked good, has planned overall against that type of opposition, but here's the catch. Here's the reason I've got this summary. I think Plant excels when his opponent is prone to mistakes. And that's, I see that in Benavides. I see him prone to mistakes. It's not like he always makes mistakes. I see him prone to mistakes. There are times when he seems to leave himself open to things. So on the face, Benavides should win this fight simply because of the aggression factor. But I think if Benavides makes one mistake, just one mistake, I do see Plant getting the W because Plant, I feel, is very good at capitalizing on the mistake factor. 
So to me, I think that favors plant because Benavides might come in too confident, feeling like he can't lose. If he does, then I do see him making that mistake, and I do see plant being good enough to capitalize on that mistake and get him out of there. Really, if we're honest, Benavides's primary trait here is going to be his his speed, certainly, his power, but also can he trap plant and land the bombs that usually gets guys out of there? Because he's not going to outbox Caleb Plant. In my eyes, that's not going to happen. Or does he come in overconfident because he's coming off a win streak? Does that happen? Does Caleb Plant simply show, you know, edges? Because Plant has more rounds in the books experience. Does that play in the factor? All I'm saying is I feel like Plant has a strong chance to win this because Benavides has a strong chance of making a mistake that Plant capitalizes on. What that mistake might be, I don't know. This is going to be a good test of both guys of where they're at levels-wise. Is Plant on the decline? Is Benavides what he appears to be? That's going to be the question that we're going to answer. That's on Showtime pay-per-view in the U.S., Fight TV in the U.K. I strongly recommend that you check out that fight. I think it's going to be really good for all fight fans. I think it's a huge, huge, huge type of a fight. Let's spin through the undercard real quick, uh, best I can. So we got Chris Colbert making his return. Jose Valenzuela is going to be his opponent. This is going to be, I believe, 12 rounds. Yep, super featherweight. I, of course, know Chris Colbert. He's coming off a loss. Jose Valenzuela is coming off a loss. I've, I'm aware of both guys. I've not followed both guys, but I know more about Chris Colbert than I do Valenzuela. Most people think this is a pick fight. Just on the numbers, so I'm talking just the numbers. Colbert has way more rounds in the books in terms of experience, but Colbert is more of the boxer style. Valenzuela, he's boxer style, but he's, he'll actually try to get you out of there at least. Uh, I don't see any tactical advantages on either side, so my gut tells me this is going to be a good fight to watch simply because it looks like they're matched really well. Uh, so this one certainly looks like it's going to be worth seeing. This is, a, this is at the MGM Grand out here in Vegas, by the way, if you're local. So I think that one's worth checking out because that one's gonna that one's gonna be intriguing just from a styles perspective. Also in the card, Jesus Ramos against Joseph Spencer. Twelve rounds of super welterweight, both undefeated, uh, both decently good guys. Um, I'm talking skill wise, uh, reasonably new to the game. They're young, up and coming. Uh, what well, I think they're matched really well. Both. I don't know anything about. I've heard of. Uh, Joey Spencer, Joseph, sorry, Spencer. I haven't watched many of his fights. I've heard of him, haven't seen much. Um, most people believe that Spencer is just going to completely win this. I don't necessarily say it's that easy. From what I can tell, there's a couple of things that lean towards Ramos. Uh, number one, Ramos is a southpaw. That always seems to play in the factor. Uh, Ramos has a reach advantage. And then Ramos, Ramos seems like he has more power from what I can tell. Uh, Ramos goes out there and he tries to get you out of there. It doesn't seem like he's overly aggressive. It just seems like he's able to get you out of there. However, his wins have all been decision wins. So I don't know if that's, again, it seems like he doesn't, again, he didn't go after you to get a knockout. seems like if it happens, it happens. But power, I'm saying, seems to be the differentiator between the two of these. So I don't say, I'm saying I don't see it as clean for Spencer. I think it's going to be a tough fight. I think you're going to watch two guys that are really evenly matched go for rounds. It's 12 rounds, so they're going to go for rounds. I guess this is probably going to go the distance, my guess. 
But I'm thinking that Ramos is going to have a really good showing of himself. I think Ramos is going to show that he's got he's he's wants to go forward. This is a pick'em. This is what I would refer to as a pick'em um, because either could go either way. Uh, but I do see it going the distance based on just just the styles and the numbers and everything else that's that I'm seeing here in front of me. Uh, Cody Crowley makes his return against Abel Ramos, who's also returning after a little bit of a layoff. Cody Crowley, of course, is undefeated. Ramos has a, he's fresh off a loss. Ramos, this is well matched as well. Crowley's being the southpaw and a significant reach advantage, slight height advantage. Um, Ramos has the power advantage, but I think everything else leans favor to Cody Crowley. Now, Cody Crowley, just to put it in perspective, though, I like him a lot as a fighter. I think he's really solid. He seems to not disappoint anytime he's in there. He goes and tries to entertain the fans, at least, uh, but he's not going to be the knockout artist. So if you're the kind of person that just looks for knockouts, he's not the guy for you. If you're the one that just wants to see somebody who's just stylistically good, that's, to me, Cody Crowley, in my opinion. He's just... He's just well-rounded and stylistically good. Whereas Ramos, he's he I find him to be an aggressor, at least, and that's cost him in fights because he's been outboxed before. From an experience perspective, Ramos certainly has the edge, but I also know that Ramos feels like he's been declining as of late. I don't know what the cause, specific cause of that is, but it seems like he's been on somewhat of a decline, and I do think that'll show up in the fight. We don't know what that means. Um, his most recent fight, I was totally not impressed with the with the way he performed. Uh, that was against Santa Maria. I, I wasn't impressed that at all. Um, and that's it, it's weird too because he was so. So here's the story, right? So Ramos fought uh, Jordanius Ugas back in 2020. Had of course the pandemic getting in the way. Had layoffs. He didn't come back until 2021. He fought Omar Figueroa and stopped him, and that was a shocker. Stopped him in six rounds. Um, that was a real shocker. And then, so he was riding on a high and then he fights Santa Maria who was a gross underdog and then just takes a loss, just gets completely outboxed. And I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was something he got ill, got injured. I don't know that, but he was not expected to lose against, uh, Santa Maria, but he did. And that was on the undercard of, I believe that was undercard of Thurman Barrios. So if you ever want to see that full card, that's where that was. So I don't know what was going on with him at the time, but to me, it leans because of what happened. It leans like uh, Ramos, he's either on the decline or he just had a rough spot. So it's worth looking to see what's going to happen on that on that particular event. Now let's switch over a little bit. We've got a different event. There's, I told you it's a stack weekend. This is a big one. Jose Ramirez fighting Richard Comey. Of course, Richard Comey last disappointed me. Uh, he's been on the steep, steep decline. Uh, he disappointed me getting completely outboxed by Lomachenko, I was more disappointed in Lomachenko than Comey. It wasn't Comey's fault. It was what it was. I was disappointed in Lomachenko for letting the guy off the hook, not realizing it's a fight. But, uh, of course, I like both guys as fighters. Uh, and Comey, Comey, he's most recently off a draw. That's why I said it feels like he's on a decline. So after he got outboxed by Lomachenko, he then comes off of a draw. I don't think that should have been a draw. I think he should have won that fight. Just, But it seemed like he didn't show up. It seemed like he wasn't trying as hard as he could. And so the draw comes in. That was against Pedraza. It just, something mentals, it feels like, with Comey. Something mental's not quite there. Jose Ramirez has a win just most recently. And then prior to that, he had taken a loss, but he's still in the game too. That was his only loss, was the one just prior to this last fight. So Jose Ramirez is still in it. Jose Ramirez still has that that game. And then if you look at who he lost to, I mean, geez, it was freaking Tosh Josh Taylor. So I'm not going to hold that against him. 
I can't see a reason why Jose Ramirez does not win this fight. I I don't see any way Richard Comey beats Jose Ramirez. He doesn't, Comey doesn't have any advantages. Um, Comey's, he's older, much older. He doesn't have the reach advantage. He's coming off the loss and then a split decision. Um, Ramirez has significantly more experience, rounds in the books. Ramirez is a stylistically more brilliant fighter. I just, I see no win for Richard Comey in this fight. And that's not danging on Comey. I said something's off with him. He's been on the decline and Ramirez has been on the rise. So that's my, that's my opinion. I'm a hold to it. Lawrence Acoli fighting David Light. 12 rounds of cruiserweight action. This is on Pro Box, by the way. That last event in this one. Pro Box TV in the U.S., Sky Sports in the U.K. Lawrence Acoli, everybody knows who that guy is. Um, I've never heard of David Light. Uh, he's undefeated, but I've never heard of the dude whatsoever. He's been in the game. Same amount of time as Lawrence Acoli, yet I've never heard of him. So that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of interesting. So both guys are undefeated. Um, Acoli has a significant reach advantage over this guy. Significant height advantage over the guy. Um, Lawrence Acoli, just on the numbers, I'd be shocked if Acoli lost this fight. I'd be shocked. And the one lynch on this one is Acoli recently paired up with Sugar Hill Stewart, uh, which changed. It's going to change his style for sure. I think he he's already been an aggressive type fighter. Not he doesn't go out there to take you out, but he's an aggressive type fighter. He'll he'll he doesn't just sit back and box. He'll try to get you out. But with Sugar Hill Stewart, it looks like he may want to refine some of that. Most people, as do I, agree that Coley's going to get the knockout against David Light. But David Light might pull something out. He might show us something. I just, I've never heard of the dude whatsoever. Apparently, he's only been fighting possibly in the UK. And I'm not aware of, you know, anything about the guy. I looked at who he fought. I'm not aware of any of the guys he fought. So this is, this should be an easy walk for a Coley, but who knows? Stranger things have happened. In women's action, this is the last one I see. Return of Sinesia Estrada fighting uh, Tina Ruprecht. This is uh, ESPN in the U.S., Sky Sports in the U.K., 10 rounds. Uh, I am, of course, everybody knows Sinesia Estrada. Um, she's, gotten, she's gotten kind of a little bit of a rough bag, like as, as far as being able to get those shots, being able to move up and get the big, big fight. She's had a rough time of it. Um, she's a nice girl and gets the rough end of it. And Ruprecht, I've never heard of her. They're roughly the same age. Uh, I, I don't expect a knockout in this fight. I'm, I'm telling you, don't expect a knockout. You're gonna see, you're gonna see boxing, but you're not gonna see a knockout. I'd be shocked if Sinesia lost this fight. I'd be totally shocked. However, we have seen, especially on the women's side, where for whatever reason, some women show up and they just they knock it out. So I'm I'm not dismissing Ruprecht at all. She might do that. I just don't see it happening. I don't see a reason why Sinesia Estrada would not win this fight. So if you're interested in women's action, that I do think it's worth checking out at the very least. That's what we got on what's on deck. And now let's talk about a couple of news points. Of course, the the big, couple of big news, the uh, Fury-Usyk negotiations broke down. Usyk walked away, just like Crawford walked away. Now the, the debate is whether or not Fury ducked or Usyk ducked. Here's the way it usually works. Whoever walks away from negotiations first is usually considered the ducker. What people are saying is that they're calling Fury the ducker because of the terms. And it seems like most boxing fans don't understand. The A side dictates the terms. The B side must accept all terms from the A side. The B side, usually what happens in this kind of situation when they break down is when the B side starts trying to demand things, it's not your place. So like with Crawford, 
I, he wanted to see the books and approve expenses. No, a B-side doesn't approve books or expenses. And he damn sure didn't ask to do that with BLK Prime. So we already knew that that was Crawford Duckett. With this Fury Usyk situation, apparently the hang-up on this one was the rematch. This is what we're hearing. The rematch was the hang-up that they wanted to have a rematch. Usyk wanted to sway the payday to give more money to the person who wins the rematch. Fury didn't even want to have a rematch. I actually agree with Fury's stance because I don't want to see endless rematches of back and forth and back and forth at the top because other guys deserve a shot. Plus, you got mandatories waiting in the wings. You got Dubois, he's a mandatory. Ergovic's a mandatory. Wilder's a mandatory. Like, and Joshua probably will eventually be. So it's like, I don't want to see where people are tied up in rematches. Now, it's funny. It's, in some circles like NSB, you know, the boxing, it's like they want rematches. They want rematch clauses, and that's what they want. But for other fighters, anytime they ask for a rematch clause, they get all pissed off. Like, you got to be consistent. I don't think, with the heavyweights in particular, I don't think it's in the best interest of the sport or the business to just have endless rematches. So I actually agree with Fury in the sense of, no, don't have a damn rematch. Just once and done it, period. Whoever wins it takes, winner takes all and moves on and does what they need to do. We know that if Fury had taken the fight and Fury had won the fight, he would have retired and vacated the belts because that's that he did it before. So, so, but we do need a unified champion. We haven't had one in ages, thanks to Joshua taking the L against Andy Ruiz and then taking the L against Usyk. We've not had a unified freaking champion. It's the time. So to me, I feel like Usyk is the one ducking because he put a term in there that basically made the fight a no-go. When you put a term, as a B-side, when you put a term in there that makes a fight a no-go, I'm going to call you the ducker because you should be shutting up, signing the papers, keep signing them. I don't care if they keep coming back with shit. Keep signing them. Don't you come back with any other term. Fine, 70-30, whatever. Fine, whatever. Fine, whatever. Fine, whatever. Just do it like Devin Haney had to do and then went in there and beat CM Punk Cambosis and then had to fight a pointless rematch. But the point is he agreed to the rematch. It's whatever. In this case, agree to no rematch and it's whatever. Get the fucking fight done so that we can get a unified champion finally. So no, I don't call it Fury ducking because Fury's putting crazy terms and unreasonable pays. That's what A-sides do. And everybody listening here, if you were in the boxing game and you were A-side and you're holding all the chips in terms of numbers and asses in the seats, you do the same damn thing. Don't say you would not. Certain people, not necessarily you, but certain people are keyboard warriors who think everything should be 50-50, it should be, quote, fair. No, if you were in that seat, you would do the same thing. You'd want the lion's share of the money because you'd think how hard it was for you to get to that top. Fury busted his ass to get to that top. He busted his ass to become lineal. He busted his ass three times against Wilder to take and keep the WBC title. Fury's profile grew through hard work and dedication. Usyk worked hard. He's not the top dog. So we need a new top dog. Fury draws more money. Fury has the right to call the shots. The B-side needs to shut up, sign whatever, everything. Just sign it, whatever, sign it, whatever, sign it, whatever. I don't care. I'm taking your freaking title. That's all I care about. I don't care about the money. No, I don't want you to donate to whatever the F. I'm taking your money. After the fight, once everything's wrapped up and we have a winner, you can then say, I'd like you to consider donating to my cause and ask the question. A-side can still say, screw you. It doesn't matter. Get the fight done first and stop worrying about trying to slip in terms. That's what's killing these fights. And I'm calling that because, again, Devin Haney just got done doing it. He just got done doing it. He, he had to sacrifice a lot to get that freaking unified. And now he's the top dog. 
as it should be. Jermell Charlo had to sacrifice to get to his top. We need to see more guys do that, though. You sacrifice to get to the top. Once you're at the top, you can call the shots. You don't do it in reverse order. Usyk has never been the top dog in heavyweight. The only reason he has the belts is because he beat Joshua. It's not like he beat three different champions to get his title. Fury beat Klitschko before others could. Fury then went in there three times against Deontay Wilder when nobody else would and took and kept the title. Remember, Joshua ducked Wilder off that. So I say, in my opinion, in closing, what we need to see, what we need to have seen was Uzik say, I respect my B-side status, whatever, sign, whatever, sign. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to require anything. Whatever it takes to get the man in the ring, let's do it. I'll take his belts and I'll be the A-side. I can call the shot. So me, I say Usyk ducked this man not because he's afraid of him, but simply because he's trying to put terms that he had to know was going to kill the deal. That's still a duck, no matter how you cut, weigh, or slice it, in my opinion. So that fight's off. Meanwhile, Daniel Dubois is coming up, talking about, I'm going to take on Usyk. Uh, Ergovic still has an open shot. He wants to fight the dude. I think neither fight are very exciting because Daniel Dubois is just recently coming off, taking knees, multiple knees in his fight against the cruiserweight. Ergovic, I like him. I think he's a good, solid fighter. I don't think he has enough for Alexander Usyk. The only fights that make any sense to me at heavyweight is going to be Fury versus Usyk, Fury versus Joshua still. I think that's a good fight to have. Or Wilder versus Usyk. Those are the only fights to me that make any damn sense. If we don't make any of those fights, I don't think that the heavyweight division is going to go anywhere. We're, we're going to be stuck in ice. And so that's my thoughts on heavyweights, and I'm really frustrated to see that. Meanwhile, on welterweight side, Boots Ennis, there was chatter about Boots Ennis why didn't he ask for the mandatory over this? And why did he not do the mandatory over this and all this kind of stuff? I think what's happening is, again, people are still got this hopium about Crawford crawling back and hopefully trying to make a fight happen with Errol Spence after ducking him to fight Avenesia with sketchy gloves. I don't think that fight's going to happen. I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I wish they stopped wasting time on it and move on so that the division could stop being held up. And this is not on Spence. This is on Crawford because he's the reason we're in this damn situation in the first place, going against Sketchy BOK. And I'll get to another update about that here shortly. I wish the division would stop trying to force that damn fight. Crawford ducked the man. They're both getting older. You just saw Crawford with Sketchy gloves. Crawford doesn't draw. BLK lost money on the damn thing. It's a waste of time, and it's it's a waste to try to force it. I know Spence wants it, but the point is, it's a waste of fucking time. I want to see more action in the welterweight division. And here's the thing. I would actually rather see Spence versus Once Upon a Time Thurman, if only to give Spence the opportunity to take out the last outlaw. Keith, Once Upon a Time Thurman is the last big name in the welterweight division from the prior generation left. He's never fought him. I actually would okay be okay seeing that fight because it is still an intriguing fight. People are criticizing Keith because of his loss to Manny. Fuck, his loss to Manny, it was seven to five. It was close. And arguably, arguably, Keith only lost. He took his eyes off the prize and got dropped. If he hadn't got dropped, it's a draw at best. So no, I don't think it was this dominating thing. And look at who he lost to. Then they say, okay, Mario Barrios couldn't knock him out. This is true. However, he dominated him otherwise. I don't, I don't fight that. So to me, in my opinion, I would rather see Spence completely obliterate Keith once upon a time Thurman if no, for no other reason than Spence don't like the man. And that gives us an exciting fight between two guys who actually can draw some freaking money instead of Spence having to carry the load to draw a fight where Crawford don't draw, you know, flies to shit. I, I'm fine with Spence versus Keith. People complained. It's 154. Unfortunately, because Crawford ducked Spence, it's hard for him to make the 147 limit. So that's the best that you can do. 
it also gives both guys an opportunity to not have to drain themselves down for such a fight. I'm okay with it. If Crawford were to have accepted his B side and stopped trying to throw terms and just sign on the freaking dotted line, which we know he ain't going to do, then I'm fine with Spence Crawford. We know he ain't going to do it. So that's why I don't like them trying to force the fight. He's not going to accept his B side. That means it's a waste of time. We're wasting time just like we did last year. It's going to spin and spin and spin only to not happen. And then Crawford goes to another sketchy BOK prime event and hits somebody with sketchy gloves and a bare knuckle knockout again. I don't, I don't care about the dude because he ducked the fucking fight the first time. I'd rather see guys who are willing to get in there and fight. I don't care if that's Virgil Ortiz. I don't care if that's Boots. I don't even care if that's Keith at this point. I don't care. Fandora, I don't care. Bottom line, I want to see guys who are willing to accept their B-side, get in there and show the fans a good time. And we need to move these divisions forward, not just keep hanging on these fights that might have sounded good if one side were playing ball and they don't sound good anymore because one side's not playing ball anymore. So that's my feelings on it. I know people disagree. I, I'm cool with you. I'm not saying I don't want Spence Crawford. I'm saying that you all know Crawford is not going to accept his B side. And until he does, and he won't, but until he does, you're not going to get the fight because there's not, he's got to give his B side since he didn't want to sign with Al Heyman, fine. He's got to accept the B-side. And until and unless he does, there will be no fight between the two of them. And meanwhile, we waste time. These guys are not getting any younger. They're already in the mid-30s. Crawford's, I think, even older than Spence. There's got to be some action. They got to stay in the ring. They got to stay active. We can't be held up like we are. And I feel the same way about the heavyweight division. Last little bit I want to slip in here just quick, right? So Broner signs with Don King. Because he couldn't get fights done on BOK, speaking of BOK, he couldn't get fights done on BOK. A BOK, he swore up and down, nope, the money's real, y'all. The money's real. It's all good. The money wasn't, money might have been real, but he couldn't get fights done. There were three fights that got canceled for Broner. He never even got in the ring for BOK Prime. And I don't know why Crawford even didn't want to take a fight against Broner, because at least Broner can sell enough to where to make that fight somewhat compelling. And even that one didn't happen. And that's the same damn promoter. So I don't know what's going on with BOK right now. All I can tell you is Broner signing with Don King. First of all, I don't know if Broner doesn't bother listening to the videos that his buddy Zab Judah put out, but Zab Judah already put on blast that your money's not going to be right when you're with Don King. You might think it's good, but you're not going to get paid like you think you should. That rhymes. And then certain other fighters did the same thing. It's never worked out well. I don't know why they keep signing with Don King. I mean, I do, but... This, for Broner, this is not going to end well. It's not going to end well. He put a photo up on social media with stacks of cash. This is not going to end well for Adrian Broner. I understand he's desperate for the money. He just wants to get paid. The way that you get the fights that you want is not going to be Don King. He doesn't have enough influence to get you the fights that you think you should have. So if all you want is to be paid to fight whoever, then yeah, Don will probably do something, but he's still going to take you on the back end. So for AB, I don't know if you ever hear this, man, but I... I, I understand your frustration. I do. You're trying to get paid. At the end of the day, man, there's got to be more to it than just getting paid. And this, I don't think is going to end well for you, brother. Not with Don King. And I really think you should talk to Zab Judah so he can set you up on game because I don't think it's going to end well for you either. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Combat Talk Radio, Masterpiece Boxing, found at combattalkradio.net. I want to thank you for listening today, whether you are a subscriber or not. I know you have choices, and I appreciate you for being here. Just to remind those that are new to the show, Combat Talk Radio records every Friday, so once a week in the Pacific time zone. And then Lifeblood of Boxing series, which is our coverage of the boxers I think are worth your time and 
give to the sport. That's once per month. It does not have a fixed schedule, but once a month I'll have a release until I run out of ones that I think are worth covering for Lifeblooded Boxing. So those are our two programs. It is podcast only at this point. We want to hear from you. So combattalkradio.net at the bottom. Hit comments, feedback. Let us know how we're doing. If there's anything that you'd like to see us adjust or improve, we want to hear from you, and we are open to that feedback. We also are open to starting up the YouTube again, but it seemed like that died off when Lomachenko took a loss, and we don't know why. So if somebody knows why or they'd like to hear the YouTube coverage, let us know that as well in the comments, and we are open to doing it. We just need to make sure the fans are there. Right now they're on the podcast, not on the YouTube for whatever reason specific. We're open either way. Anyhow, that'll do it, and I will see you guys next week.